Hi, I'm Keith Bowes. I'm the Managing Director for Lotus Resources. Lotus Resources is an ASX listed company that has two uranium projects. We have the production ready product uh, project in Kalakira, which is located in Malawi. And we also recently acquired through our merger with ACAP Energy, the Letlakani project, which is located in Botswana. This is a long-term greenfield project that we can see fitting into our pipeline of development going forward. And Keith, uh, thanks for coming back on. Good to see you again. What a market at the moment. People are leaning in, trying to figure out how to play this. Um, lots of inbound, I, sus I suspect, for you? Lots of inbound from uh, you know potential customers, but also from funds, from brokers, even from the retail market. Everyone's starting to pick up on this uranium uh, game, I suppose, or this uranium commodity has been something they should be looking at. So it's been a really, really busy start to the year for us. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, what I'm going to try and work out from today's call is how you take advantage of that. Now, you've got, obviously, you closed the uh, Lethakani uh, deal end of last year. Um, bit of betting in going, I suspect? Yeah, so obviously there was a, a team associated with that, with ACAP and with the Lethakani project. We have been very open that everybody that was on that team has stayed within the company. We're making sure that we're integrating the two teams together. So we've got a good solid team in uh, Botswana, you know, back office support, uh, community government liaison, geologists and all that type of stuff who have been busy working on the project for a number of years. We're just you know, continuing that story and hopefully being able to provide them with more support and more money than what they had previously. Right, okay. And I think the focus clearly is Kayla Kerr. So maybe we're going to make this conversation about what what are you doing in the context of what we're seeing out there? And clearly, what we're what we're seeing is it's moving from buyer's market to seller's market. Some companies are biding their time; they expect spot price to move forward and be, and therefore be able to take advantage of you know better deals with these utilities. Um, tell us where you're at in terms of operations on the ground, and maybe then lead on to kind of conversations you may be having about how you get this funded once you do uh, an FID, maybe later this year. Yeah, sure. So as you've mentioned, the, this uranium price, I mean, obviously a significant increase over the last month or two. It has um, had some influence in terms of how we want to approach the project now, where previously we were quite comfortable with looking at, say, a 65 or 70, maybe $75 per pound price, and what that meant in terms of timelines for the development of the project. With this higher price and what we believe is the opportunity for a, let's say, a sweet period between 2026 and 2029 or something like that, where we think there could be even higher prices, we are really, really focused on getting the Calacara mine up and running by the end of 2025 so that we can deliver product into the market during that period of undersupply and hopefully maximize the price and the profits that we'll be able to get. So having that sort of target start date, we then worked our way backwards in terms of what we need to do. So our feasibility study indicates that we need about 15 months to refurbish the program, which effectively means we need to make final investment decision probably by the middle of this year as sort of an indication of where it is. And then we focus on what are the things we've always said we want to have in place prior to making final investment decision. So these are things like potentially getting some offtake signed, uh, having a look at some of our financing strategies, we made an announcement a week and a half ago about appointing a debt advisor to assist us with that process. We're currently in the process of reviewing a number of different uh, companies that have been able to help us with that. And we should be uh, announcing an appointment of a debt advisor within the next couple of weeks, we hope. We're looking at updating, updating our feasibility study by undertaking a feed program. 
course, we talk about the mine development agreement as well. That's still an important part of it. So we've sort of, wouldn't say accelerated, but we've certainly got this very strict timeline that we would like to try and stick to so that we can actually be producing uranium, as I said, in 2026. Right. And I think finance clearly going to be forefront of all, all of the above to allow you to, to do all the things that you, you want to be doing. Share price, market cap, you know, vastly improved somewhat from when we uh, spoke to you towards the end of, end of last year. Nice reaction to, you know, spot price and interest in the, in the sector. But the money itself, you, you've got a couple of ways of playing that. You can sit back for a bit. And so I get your timeline, but you, in a way, you, you want to get the best deal possible, the cheapest capital possible, uh, and also get, you know, at the same time, you're going to get on with things. So in terms of the, those negotiations, do you think... You, you're going to find that a little bit easier than you would say a, a year ago, clearly because of the, of the environment. I think we will do. There's a couple of things that have happened. So I think Matt, when you and I spoke and say a year ago, or even 18 months ago, when we were talking about the project and the financing financing strategy associated with it, we were always talking about equity. We know that other companies, other uranium companies, and I can talk about Paladin, I can talk about Boss, when they uh, raise their capital for their restarts. They did all of that in the equity market. It was 100% equity raise associated with that. And we've always sort of thought along those lines. When we did, when we were assuming 18 months ago or so that the price of uranium would be, you know, 65 or 70 or $75, we were looking at sort of the debt carrying capacity of the project. We weren't that comfortable that the project could carry a significant amount of debt. And again, that, you know, made us look at the equity market. However, with today's prices, $104 per pound today has got a size $106 per pound. We run those sort of numbers through our cash flow model now. Calakira can handle a large amount of debt if that's what we want to do going forward. And that's really the reason why we've started to approach these debt advisors now to get a bit of a better understanding of which are the banks or which are the institutes out there that are comfortable in Africa, comfortable with uranium that we could potentially look at as being part of the uh, financing packages. We're certainly not looking at 100% debt, that we'd never do that, but we do think that debt will form part of the financing going forward. And the other thing that's happened within the market as well, we're actually starting to see some of the utility in that being more open to the suggestion of doing prepayments. I think some of the conversations that have been had with the utilities is that where previously they had relied heavily on the Cameco's and the Kazataproms for their production going forward, it would appear now from our analysis that the majority of Cameco's production has been sold. The majority of Kazataprom's production has been sold. If a utility wants to buy new material now, the only thing they can do is go down to the next tier of producers. I wish Lotus sits in there. And they're now beginning to understand what in order to induce a company like Lotus to make that final investment decision and to get Calacare up online, maybe by making an offer with a prepayment would be beneficial. I mean, pre prepay also presupposes that they know how to assess advanced development companies and their ability to actually get into production, right? And which, which, which is a big leap for these guys because it's not obviously not core competence and they've never kind of really been you know, upstream players. So what, what, would, what would those terms look like? Because clearly you want cash up front, because that's going to be that's that's great news as part of the mix, your your financing mix. Um, what would they want to see from you? How do they diligence you guys? As I said, these these discussions are just starting, but certainly I think one of the benefits that Lotus has with Calakira is that it is a price-producing mark. 
it has produced uranium, that uranium has been treated at the conversion facilities at Convidine, at Cameco, at Arano. And in fact, a number of the utilities that we speak to have previously had Kalakira uranium within their nuclear reactors as well. So there is confidence from that perspective that the mine will produce, the mine can operate, the mine can deliver a really high product, high quality product into the market. So I think that's a big thing for us. But the other thing I think to recognize is we do talk about prepayments, but we're talking about these with multiple possible entities as well. So we're not looking for huge amounts of upfront payments from a single utility. Maybe it's in the range of $10 million, maybe it's $15 million or something like that. Which when you consider that what you would be signing a contract with them is something in the order of 300,000 pounds per annum. What's that? It's $100 per pound, that's $30 million that you'll be delivering to them per annum. It's a relatively small percentage of the total value that you're signing in the contract. And from that perspective, I think they're prepared to take a little bit of risk around that if they can be sure that by providing this prepayment, they are assisting you coming into production earlier than what you normally would. Right. I guess the other thing that you told us are going to want to be really sure of is, and I think, and I think we can we can argue a very good case for why uranium is different from other commodities in terms of the supply demand fundamentals. You know, lights are on or or, or they're off. Um, but they're going to need to maybe think that there's going to be either some sustained reaction in the market to the price that coming in now will you know stop them having to overpay much much later further down the line whereas the bankers are going to want to see some kind of sustained price uh, level but you know certainly a, a, a kind of higher bottom than it is now feel comfortable that this isn't going to be a, a spike situation and they're going to be left high and dry you know further down the line so again in terms of those conversations you expect to have or or, or are having or is that a kind of major consideration for them the way that i understand and as i said I, I keep saying we're just starting this conversations, but the way that I understand it is that, for example, the way that the contract would work is that we would agree to a pricing mechanism, whether that be base escalated or market related, whatever it happens to be. And we would agree as part of the prepayment that they would be able to uh, utilize their prepayments on a certain amount per year. So for example, as I said, if we've got $30 million worth of uranium being sold to a, a utility in each of the years and we owe them $10 million, well, maybe what we do is we discount, we allow them to take off $3 million or $4 million per year off that uh, payment in order for them to be able to recover their prepayment. So they're not forecasting a price in any way, they're just making a down payment in terms of a future payment, I think is the way that, that, that we see it working going forward. Okay, okay, and what about bankers? Because obviously, you're going to get you hopefully get debt from a number of providers uh, and, and for, you know forward pay is great debt conventional um they're a little bit more conservative and perhaps don't know as much as we were talking to john champaglia earlier yesterday um and saying there's actually there's loads of generalist investors leaning into the space not just necessarily for financial products but also in terms of backing advanced near revenue stories and but they don't they're starting from like you know, a very low base and having to kind of pick up on this stuff. And one of the things that they constantly do is sort of compare it to other commodities. Now, if those conversations that you're going to need to have are partly educational and part, partly, you know, selling and lending comfort um, is going to be a big part of what you do going forward. So do you, I know you're starting those conversations, but by the sounds of it, you're going to need to conclude them quite quickly. 
as well. Do you think you're going to be able to, or are you going to have to find people who actually know what they're talking about? I think there are some uh, um, debt advisors and there's certainly some funds and some banks that are more familiar with the uranium space than others. And those are the ones we're trying to identify through our process now of selecting the right people we want to work with. But but you're right though, With when you're talking to the banks and the debt, I mean, they're going to reference what they're a little more comfortable with and maybe now I'll use a gold analogy. Maybe they're looking for us to hedge the gold, or no, hedge hedge the price, or something like that. Well, the equivalent of hedging the price in the gold industry, in the uranium industry, to hedging the price in the gold industry is to sign term contracts using a pricing mechanism that is more uh, straightforward than, say, a market-related one. And what I mean by that is, if we can agree a term contract with a with an off-taker that is a base escalated contract with a price, a starting price, and then say a, either a, a fixed escala- escalation uh, clause or a f- fixed escalation amount per year or something related to some CPI or something like that, that would certainly give a bank a lot more comfort about what the potential future revenue stream would be for the company. Again, as part of this whole process, and we've always recognized that financing and offtake are very, very closely related, and we need to move both of them in parallel. How much of our material are we going to have to put into those term contracts in order to be able to um, satisfy the debt provider's requirements? Now, when we spoke previously, I think even our initial intention was to put something in the order of 50% or maybe a little bit more of our production into these term contracts. When we run the models now, that's basically what comes out now. We need to put a minimum of 50% of our production into these term contracts in order to satisfy the banks moving forward. Maybe it's 60%, maybe it's 70% of today's prices, but there's certainly a minimum level that we need to put in there and also the type of contract influences how we're going to do it as well. So we do recognize those two things are closely related and you're right, we need to move through this process quickly. Yeah, and, and I would also add that um, uh, 50% for a period of time, not in perpetuity or for the life of the mine. Um, Presumably, right. Um, the the other thing, the other, there's lots of ways you can negotiate the, those term contracts. Everyone's unique. Every, everything's slightly different. Um, but this first mover advantage, I think, that you guys have, you have, as you said, you this has been a producing mine before. The, it, you have the the, the track. There's the track record there that lends huge um, comfort. Also, the first mover advantage in a market where lots of people talk talking a good game, but actually quite far away from getting to the point where they've, they are FI, they're at an FID, that they can get the financing and, quite frankly, have the people experienced enough to bring this thing into production. So um, is that something that you push in these conversations? Do people understand the fact that um, you know, you're one of only probably a handful, quite frankly, talking this game. We always get questions about this kind of stuff. I mean, the, the, the market understands that those are important points in it. And there's certainly a lot of questions I get around that in terms of the timeline, the strategy, people, uh, support from various, you know, community support and all that kind of stuff in terms of how we see it going forward. So we certainly get a lot of questions around that. And again, you know, referencing to what I've said, said before, we are in a little bit of a unique position in that because the mine has operated previously and was successful in terms of its relationship with the communities and there was a significant increase in terms of the wealth, let's say, 
of the area around the mine. The people there are supportive of the mine coming back online again, which is also great. So when you go through your due diligence report or exercise, I mean, the banks are always interested in, you know, the technical stuff about the project, the costs, you know, cash flows and all that kind of stuff. But equally important these days, it's about the environment. It's about the social stuff and all those types of things. And we can tick those boxes because we have demonstrated history of complying with those things and they can go and talk to people about it as well. Well, I'm thinking, and I appreciate all of that. I was thinking more from a money money point of view in the sense that there's this looming gap between supply demand coming up. The companies that can get into production, either they're restarts, and we, you, you outlined some of the issues perhaps with, you know, Camco has had some problem already in terms of their restarts, and only a handful of advanced developers talking a game of getting into production anytime in the next three years. So is that, I mean, how do you, how do you use that to your advantage, you know, um, you know, in, in, in terms of deciding who you want to work with and maybe how um, the utilities view you and how the banks view you? Well, we're certainly seeing that from the utilities coming in. I think they recognize, as you said, there's a, hot, there's a handful of companies that are going to be able to deliver the product into the time frame that they have a concern about. And they are certainly approaching us in terms of understanding what our timeline to first production is, what our production rates are going to be, what our expectations in terms of in terms of the, the deliveries and all that kind of stuff. We certainly get a lot more inbounds from the utilities about that. Of that, there's no doubt. From the um, institutions and from the funds and all that in terms of the financing of the project, there's certainly a lot of interest from the original uh, groups that understand the uranium and are looking for the next one where they can get a multiple return on their investments and all that kind of stuff. But there's also a lot of more generalist funds that have picked up that uranium is really probably the only commodity, certainly last year and potentially this year, in which there could be a significant increase in terms of the commodity price moving forward. And therefore, they want to get in on that as well. So there is a lot of inbounds I'm getting from funds who want to learn about the company, who want to understand how we're going to do our financing and whether there's an opportunity to participate in that. I will add that the banks are not quite at that point yet. I do think there's a bit more education required on the banking side. But I do think that the banking side, because of the debt and all that kind of stuff, it's probably not as exposed to an upside to the uranium prices, maybe an equity guys as well. So maybe there's not much as much excitement about that from the banks or from the debt providers. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'm just you know we, we we've been having various conversations across this week talking about the you know, supply demand numbers. It it's quite apparent there's going to, there's there's this looming gap coming up, um, and it's quite apparent that that should have to see a reaction in the a spot price and turn contracting for those who can uh, but but here's and this, this is the bit that kind of makes me um, most nervous is the fact that there's a lot of development stories with lovely presentations talking about production which is going to be here in 27 28 20, 29 um which i don't which i find really i kind of struggle to believe the numbers i struggle to believe their ability to actually get get to when will they actually yeah, rubber hits the road, pounds are physically produced. It's been a very good game of talking about pounds on the ground in this cycle. Um, 
And that's not what the sector needs. The sector utilities need the pants coming out of the ground. I mean, are you are you sort of are you kind of kind of conscious of that, and, and you know, in the sense of what it'll do to um, uh, price of uranium? Are you worried about you know the sort of negative effects of if these companies you know don't get into um, production? I mean, what's your sort of macro view of the sector at the moment? I, I mean, I mean, as I agree with you that there's some companies out there that perhaps are selling a good story with. You know, maybe there needs to be a bit more substance behind it that I certainly agree with. But uh, I would say there are certainly a significant number of companies uh, that have the ability to get back online again. My concern around them is is the cost structure that they've put forward, both in terms of capital and maybe operating costs, are realistic. We are fortunate again in Calacare and that we can reference back to historical production data. We know what the reagent consumptions are. We know what the availability of the equipment is. We know what the throughputs are and all that kind of stuff. So I do believe we have a lot more confidence around things like those cost structures, those cost breakdowns, and therefore we're a lot more confident moving forward when we say it's $29 per pound of production rates. I think that's a fairly solid number that you could put in the bank almost because it's based on real operating history and all that kind of stuff. So I certainly think that the utilities, when they're looking around at various companies that they want to deal with, they do recognize that brownfield projects with past producing history that have delivered material to the conversion facilities and of high quality and all that kind of stuff, those are certainly the first companies that they want to go to in terms of having conversations about offtake and that kind of stuff. The other companies where maybe the information is a little less certain, I certainly have a feeling that they are lower down the list in terms of the conversation, let's say. Yeah, and I, I, and I agree with that. Um, and I think you know when, when times are tough, when, when, the, when, the, when the price was not so good, yeah, you're looking at the margins of these, these companies and you think, well, uninvestable but now with price where it is you know the the price covers up a multitude of sins from the point of view of the on paper economics which is you know all it's kind of theor theoretical number it's about which companies can get into production can sell can bring in dollars at you know reasonable margins and in fact there's probably a, you know a bit of room for error there you know if, when, if things go wrong because the price is doing a lot of heavy lifting for for those those companies so it, it, it's a nice environment but ultimately companies need to get into production and i think that those that do will be the main beneficiaries of this so i think that's why i sort of um was kind of keen to you know hear what you have to say and you know where you're at in the process and i say for us it's like one of a handful of companies are actually going to do to be able to take advantage of it in, in the in the in the short term well like um keith um just just very 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 quickly um back to uh Kani, um there obviously things are kind of moving along and you're kind of betting in the team etc and there's you know there's a good solid team Botswana right how how are people reacting to Botswana as the sort of next epicenter for uh uranium I mean Botswana's got a fantastic mining history I mean they've been mining diamonds there since the 1970s they've uh, diversified out into copper they've done nickel previously and all that stuff there are some coal mines and all that. It's got a very rich mining history. So from a mining perspective, from a mining regulatory perspective, from services, from skilled workforces and all that kind of stuff, it ticks lots and lots of boxes with regard to setting up a company there. 
So there's a lot of positive comments made about the deal that we did, the fact that it's sitting in Botswana, and the fact that we've picked a project that's got such good infrastructure associated with it. I mean, I keep punting this, you know, infrastructure when you're developing a project is absolutely essential. If you don't have good infrastructure, if you don't have access, you don't have power, you don't have rail, you don't have access to water and all that kind of stuff, these things add multiples onto your capex to try and resolve. Lethnakani's got all of these sitting there already. We've already got a sealed road that goes past the um, past the tenement, uh, a, a rail lighting with a rail siding within the mining lease boundary, a large substation we can tap into electricity. So when we talk about those types of things and then combine this with 190 million pounds of resource that we can do a lot of work on, you know, this is a 20, 25 year project producing somewhere between, I don't know, three and a half, maybe four and a half million pounds per annum of uranium. This is a big, big project that we can develop to add extensive, extensive life to Lotus as being a uranium producer. Excellent. Thank you very much, Matt. Good to see you again.